Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life. Get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. Forget oh, thank you, Bob. Get sober. Well, Find you the have right done treatment. It. You have done it, Chuck. You're you you've stopped dying, but some of our friends this week have not. Uh-oh. That's very it's, true. It, it, well, I just texted a friend of mine. I know of two people that died this week. So let me begin right away honoring my friend John, who worked in treatment for eight years, and he was working with me on um, marketing and intake at this new rehab called Momentum that I'm doing. And he dropped dead from, uh, uh, he was, so on Thursday, on two Thursdays ago, I went to lunch with him. I was at outpatients, this new outpatient in West LA and right across from Jack's Sugar Shack, Mike, right outside. If you walk out the door of Jack's Sugar Shack, right across the street used to be a bank. Now it's a rehab. That should tell you something. They're all over the place. They're even in banks now. They're in banks. The break room, it's really cool. The break room is inside the vault. The break room to the staff. <laughs> That's so, cool. Do you think we'll get to the day where you walk into a food court in a mall and there'll be like a Subway, a Genghis Khan? Uh, there'll, uh, there'll be Bupernecks there. There'll be a Bupernecks stand. <laughs> like when you walk through the mall and they have the break your feet, if you broke your phone, they'll have Bupernecks. Right next to it. Yeah. And, uh, That's not a bad idea. I, I was joking, but that's not a bad idea. Uh, no, I, I like it a lot. <laughs> and fentanyl testing stations, fentanyl yeah. st- like a little, like a little photo booth. You just go in there, cut, shut the little curtain, yeah, and check private. it out. Fuck, All that's right. Genius. So, anyways, John, John was just a great guy, and he loved sobriety. He's one of those people that just talk too much about sobriety, which I'm always suspicious of. Um, and I, you know, it turned out that my suspicions were correct. And Chuck, you have a story from this week too, correct? Yeah, and it's another one of those things where every once in a while, you know how uh, you connect with someone when they come through treatment. I, it's been a while since you've been like a daily on the floor guy, but I know you remember what it was like where you've got like 50 clients at a time and... It's a war. You know, I always it, considered it a war. <laughs> it's 100%. And sometimes you find people that are willing to like say, okay, man, we need to go in this foxhole till the shooting stops, and then we're going to move over that way. And they're with you, they're behind you, they're doing what they're supposed to do. And it was just shocking, because usually when, um, you know, right now I could list off 10 people that if you told me they got high and died, I would be like, that's not a shock. But when when they're into it and their life is going well, this these are the ones that catch me off guard, especially when it's someone that uh, you take a liking to. Well, well, let's, but, but there's something about talking about it too much. I, I really, a lot of my friends that have died of drugs that have had medium amount of sobriety, and to me, a medium amount of sobriety is five years or less. Yeah. Um, the ones that talk too much about it, like just never let their guard down and just talk about insecurities or talk about, you know, I don't think I'm a very good dad or talk about like frustrations. I want to, you know, blow my car up. I have this car problem where every time I 
put my phone charger in, it blows the fuse on the on the cigarette lighter. I want to oh. kill myself, Tyler. <laughs> I want to kill myself the other day. And, and, and I support and that. I can talk to Anthony <laughs> or I can talk to my friends about that. There are certain people that think you're not supposed to talk like that if you're in recovery. Like all I said is I want to kill. When you say I want to kill myself because of the cigarette lighter thing, real alcoholics understand what you're talking about. I thought blowing up your car was a good <laughs> yeah. idea, though. I, I don't know. It sounded like a great idea. I mean, I, sometimes, you know. I, I said to Chrissy when it happened, like there's a third time in one day, and I have to get down under and put a new fuse in. I said, I'm just trading this fucking car in. And she goes, why? It's such a good car. You love this car. I was like, fuck it. We're going to the dealer. We're trading this fucking thing in. This piece of shit. This fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Uh, no, that, it doesn't mean you become rational because you stopped using drugs. I mean, most of us were irrational to begin with. I mean, that's that's, that's the big part of to, it. I want to get how you live day to day sober. You have to be human. Bob Timmons used to always say, all sobriety does is give you a chance of being human. And yeah. and and when you're reciting chapter and verse of AA throughout your day, 90 times a day, you're not being a human being. Yeah. And how do we break through to those people before they, you know, how do we break through and say, hey, it's okay to be angry. It, that's the thing. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be irrational. It's okay. And, it's okay to be cynical. It's just not okay to use because of those things. You right. can't justify using because of those emotions. And I think there's one theory in AA that if you avoid those feelings, you won't use. That's a fucking lie. Alcoholics drink. This is this is a perfect uh, a perfect thing because I really like this because I've been I've been going to more meetings uh, recently and people give the impression that because of what they share and how they share it and they're it's the same happy horse shit all the time. I mean, if you're not bringing a, a problem and then sharing the solution to show that life isn't fucking easy, then the other people feel like they're failing if they're frustrated or angry exactly. or wanted or want to fuck, fuck this. This isn't working for me the way it's working for them. Look at them. Every day is fucking butterflies and lollipops and rainbows. And my life is real. My life is real. And that, you know, shit happens, but we talk about it. And some days I'm super grateful. And some right. days my car lighter fucking blows up every time I plug my phone charger in. That's life. <laughs> That's life. AA yes, does not prevent life from happening to you. It just it gives you the opportunity to not use in reaction to good or bad life. Now, one of the things that Mike Mart was an expert at is Mike would have like a period where he'd stop doing crack for a while and kind of get it together and start playing better. By the way, Mike, me and Sid and Chrissy watched a video of you and me playing at Renee's Records on Melrose. There's a there's like a 20 minute film of it. You shred in that. You were amazing in that, right? So that must Thank have been you. a time when you weren't doing meth or crack. I imagine. <laughs> or 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 the right combination. <laughs> the two. You Who just knows? you you hit the mark that day for that. Yeah, right one. yeah. The, but but um. And the and the the blonde that you you were married to, I forget. Oh my, uh, my Melissa. God. Me Melissa, she's standing there and she seems happy. So I just felt like if she's happy and Mike's playing good, he must have been going through a good 
good couple weeks here, or maybe a good weekend. <laughs> like, yeah, man. and you know, back so, to what you were saying though, the, a lot of that, a lot of that um, insecurity and that and and that and that whistling past the graveyard, as they call it, is fear. You know what I mean? There, you, you're afraid that it's that that your sobriety's not going well. You know, inside, and you, you're you're in you're in fear a lot. I mean, I you know that happened to me early. That on. happens to me. That like, well, like, I don't, I don't know. And I've been saying this for years. I think, I think it would take a lot it. for me to use again. It would take a lot for me to use again. It's not going to be like a surprise. I hate when people with 14 years sobriety who use again go. I was doing my steps. I was going to my meetings. Well, what the fuck does that mean? You used again, you pussy. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> you just got to not use and, and, and keep peeling the onion. But I have this feeling that people are not peeling the onion, Chuck. They're okay. not. They're not looking at their insecurities and their vulnerabilities and, and not allowing themselves to be loved or loved. They're not doing what the rules are trying to guide you to experience and people become obsessed with the rules and the reciting of the rules and the reciting of the slogans and they're missing the whole point of having their heart open up or be rocketed into the fourth dimension they are not so and and i get back to these tragedies of my friend Hal, of of this guy john it's the people that talk about it the most that seem the most vulnerable to me. I swear to God. Well, yeah, it's a front, isn't it? I mean, a, a good product sells itself in real life, right? So I don't have to run around telling people I'm sober and that I did 12 steps. If they see things different or they want to get clean and they come to me, it's not because I gave a good stump speech. It's because they, it's, you know what I mean? This is, it's this because is a, they see you with bug. That's it's that's not a pyramid what, scheme. This is who like, you are. It's who you are though. That that's what's supposed to be the attraction of, rather than promotion. It's your life and who you are. And but that's and, what I get for, for, and, and my life doesn't look as good to me because I see all the dark corners and I see all the headaches. Like, like Sasha being loaded and flipping out our whole house on Tuesday night and then me finding out Darren's dead on Wednesday and it being no surprise to Darren's wife because she said this is what happens with him. He gets sober. He gets the, the cool new job lined up. He gets a good place to stay. He gets a job. He gets a circle of friends. And then his brain says, now we can get loaded. Right. And she goes, this is not the first time. But the problem was he got fentanyl. And he had been doing fentanyl before he got sober this last time. But this time he smoked some fentanyl and it took him out. He was a big guy. I mean, oh, so it's not no. like this isn't just happening to little guys, you know, so, he, <laughs> you know, people go, I'm a big fella. Darren was a big guy. I like that. I you like know, that. He wasn't frail and he wasn't new. He was 51 years old. He'd, he'd been, you know, he'd been through. It, oh my god my, my friend was 52 oh my god 50 year old people mike 50 year old people are still using it's just crazy to me i can't wow. i can't even fathom it john came into my life about a year ago and the guy for a year just talked nonstop ai on the phone in person what i was gonna say is we went to lunch four days before he died and right near the outpatient building and and um, 
he started to go to this cars. We were like having a business meeting and then he started to go to his car and I go, we're just, we're just going to this, this hamburger place up the street. Right. I go, we'll just fucking walk. And he goes, Oh no, let's, uh, cause he's smoking a cigarette. He's, you know, out of shape. And I said, it's only three blocks. Let's just walk. And he was like, well, I'll drive. I said, you're going to let me walk and you're going to drive three blocks. <laughs> so then we walk up there, me and him and this other guy, Frank and this other guy, and we go to order and he orders a hamburger with pastrami on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like, like I said, John, when, you, to be when healthy, we get to get our age, you can't, you can't have both. I mean, I'm not like perfect. I'll either go with the hamburger or go with the pastrami, but you can't put pastrami on a hamburger. Dude, you know what? That's yeah. you know what makes yeah. that better? Mike, French fries Mike, have you and, ever put and have ranch you ever, no, on your pastrami? Shit, no, man. Ranch, ranch, ranch. Ranch. I, you know why yeah, I was you, laughing? I was laughing wait. because because uh, I can imagine you ordering the gummy bear burger, but anything with sugar or the watermelon burger. Yeah, watermelon. What Chuck were you saying? The, at the hat, at the hat. Have you ever been to the hat? It's one of those Dude, places. Dude, uh, we go to the hat all the time. It's here near my house. There's one in Claremont. Thank okay. God. Okay. And well, I, I love it. Our whole family. I'm not kidding. Elvis, Sydney, me, Chrissy. Our whole family splits one fucking pastrami dip. Well, that and it's enough neat. for lunch. <laughs> it's enough. <laughs> oh, one I can, I can for do four it. Four people. And you get the fries and. It's a, a big brown bag, and, and you put the fries on top of the pastrami <laughs> no. with ranch, and then you eat it like that, and it's like a whole meal in one, and it's delicious. And maybe I'm not destined to live <laughs> it could forever. Kill you. But, it could kill you. <laughs> maybe, but well, you know the the thing is, we got a shot at this today, good, bad, or indifferent, and that's what I. That's what. Okay. It, I was knocked off my feet like Wednesday just because sometimes you don't see things it's, coming and it's the last things you expect. And, and, I and it sucks. But, but message. How did you find out we went to work? I woke up to a text message on that Tuesday, the day before your tragedy. And all it said was, John is dead. Call me. It was just one of those things where it's like I'm every morning I get a, a text from Darren and he'd say, have a badass day. And I'd smart ass him back something like, I'll have whatever fucking kind of day I want. Don't tell me how to live. See you later. Or then he'd say, okay, have a mediocre day. So every morning I'm getting one of those. I didn't get one Wednesday morning. And, and I felt like immediately on Wednesday afternoon when I called over to see what was up with him and I hear uh, he died. And I go, oh, shit. And I'm thinking, this has got to be my fault. I, why didn't I notice that he didn't text this morning at 7.30? Why didn't, I, why didn't I go over and check on him? Because I didn't think anything was going on. And the only thing that made me feel any better, because survivor's guilt is real, if, at least for me, was that someone told me he had been dead for 20 hours before he was found. Oh, right? man. So it's like one of those things where the guy, this guy I know who's a cop, goes, uh, there was nothing you could have done. Because I go, dude, I should have known this morning. I should have come straight over here. But it was one of those busy, hectic, you know, freaking rehab mornings. And everybody's got their problems and everything's going on. I go, damn it. If I'd have just been more sensitive, if I'd have paid more attention to other people and not been worried about Chucky's little world, maybe I would have noticed 
but that really had nothing to do with it. But we all find reasons to feel guilty when it's someone that we're close to. I am trying to say, what can we do differently? Because too many people are dying. You can't just sit here and say, oh, well, better him than me. And somehow have to oh, learn no. and all that no. shit. We have to grind. I, I just remember the greats that helped me that I, I like they confronted you. They told you how, Bob Newer told you how stupid you were every time you saw him. You know what I mean? <laughs> he really did. <laughs> right? Like, my, my. I love Bob. I love Bob North. He just tell me how stupid I was. At one time, uh, I would come back, and I, you know, after relapsing for a few months, and I'd come back, and he just, you know, you always want to see your heroes and uh, both sobriety and music and whatever. And I see him, and he goes, he goes, you're, uh, you're back. And I said, yeah. And he goes, how old are you? That's all he asked me. How old are you? <laughs> and I said. <laughs> I said, 29, and he goes, you're too old. You're too, you're not going to yeah. be able to die at 27. You can't, you can't keep doing this. <laughs> and then rather than follow up conversation, he just walked away from me. All he said was. Yeah. Maybe. How big... old are you? You're too old to die. And he walked maybe, away. <laughs> maybe that's a part of it. It's like when People these guys. are not confronting each other anymore. I'm when, telling when he... you. If I ask somebody how they are and they go, oh, dude, I've been to five meetings this week and I woke up and read 62 and 63 or whatever and I call my sponsor, I'm going to go, listen, not what I you're full of you. shit. <laughs> that's what's, not what I asked you. Okay, how are so, you doing? Right, right. I And that's like I asked one guy, uh, so what are you doing today, this uh, this week? And he goes, um, minding my own business. How about you try it? And I go, <laughs> this is a guy that's real. He's not in a mood. You know what I mean? That's the kind of stuff that means when you something would, to me. When you would say that stuff to Gloria Scott, she would turn it back on you about your responsibilities. So if uh, if I saw her and and she said, how's your week been? And I said, well, I've been to a meeting every day. And she said, she would say, that's not what I asked you. How's Elijah? That's what she would say. Right. How is your son? Right. That makes sense. You, you fucking asshole. You're missing the whole point of this. Right, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And right. so so I just think maybe we need to get a little, not even tougher. The the funny ones, it was a lot of funny ones, a lot of funny people. Like, you know, that's funny. Like, you're too old to die. You might as well just stay yeah. sober and walking away. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, not cool, any, it's not cool anymore, bro. <laughs> Some of the old timers are real curmudgeon -y and they're not good AARs, you know? They're not. Some of the old school, like Gloria and all, you know, like the ones we we're talking about, are very compassionate, and they're still they practice this without the preach, you know. Well, it just seemed like they are who they are. That's another thing. Like it has to come from. I see myself in the last ten years. I haven't been doing it because it gets such a different reaction than it used to get when I was twenty nine. Right. So if I say something cynical, like I had all these guys I was sponsoring and a bunch of guys that work for me. And and if I said something, you know, like, dude, you're full of shit or or like, where were you last night? How come you didn't show up last night? Oh, I had, I had to go over to my mom's. Is your mom going to keep you sober? The fuck? Don't ever <laughs> not text. You know what I mean? <laughs> And yeah, I was, now, I now. was doing that and they, their feelings would get hurt and it would create this real rift for like a week. Just from saying your mom's not going to keep you sober. 
right? The guy was supposed to show up to Tropical and then he didn't show up. And I don't chase people anymore at that point. I don't chase them. If they don't come to the meeting, that's on them. But when I see him the next day at work, I go, where were you last night? And he goes, oh, I couldn't come. I had, I had, I had to go over to my mom's. I go, your mom's not going to keep you sober. And I walked to my office, right? That created his resentment towards me. And he started talking to other people like, Bob's so mean to me. Why doesn't he like me? All this fucking baby bullshit. Instead of, he's trying to tell me something. Right? He's trying to right. help me. Right. Not My feelings are hurt by what he said. And that's what I started to come up against more and more as the last five years rolled off so that I don't even do it anymore. I don't want to be known as like what Mike said, some old curmudgeon that I don't want to be labeled something I'm not. I'm just doing what helped me. If it doesn't help you, then get the fuck away from me and go find somebody that helps you. But don't sit here and make it about me hurting your fucking feelings and being a baby. You know what I mean? Right. And I mean, that's, that's why I stopped doing it. That's not just AA though, Bob. That's, that's every not, that's everywhere. That's, that's if you don't society. like what I post, go to another page. Don't start a fight and call me names. You know what I mean? That, but what that about is, you hurt my feelings? Like, dude, you're I don't care about your fucking feelings. You keep skipping meetings and going to hang out with your mommy so she'll give you a hundred dollars, you're gonna use again. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. That's right. what that's what NA used to be like. And and the Hollywood version of AA that me and Mike went to and that Wiley went to, uh, you know, long before Tropical, the Hollywood Boulevard AA, what the, whatever that, uh, what was that place called, Mike? On Hollywood Boulevard, the, a Saturday morning meeting? It was a Hollywood strip group. A uh, strip group, yeah. So people like Chucky e. Weiss and, and, and Hook and those people, they'd fucking tell you the truth of your existence. They wouldn't fucking pussyfoot around about it. You know, it was just weird. So, so I don't know what can solve it, but I, I just wanted to throw that out there that I've noticed the people that talk the most are the ones dying. I swear to God. Uh, yeah, of, this, of the sober brigade. The people holding it in are dying too. The, yeah, well, the newcomers are dying. The people that are spinning in and out of rehabs are the high number of volume. But, but oh, yeah. of the, oh, of the yeah. people that, that shock you in the meetings and shock you working in treatment, it's the ones that we all got to just be human. Just let people know who you are. Like, you know, and I, I wanted to shift gears for a second. There's something that came up in my life that I think is very corrosive and destructive to society. So Sydney is in, in AYSO and Chrissy is the coach. And they say it's non, non-competitive. We just had the second game today. It's not, it, there's no competition. We're removing competition from sports. There's no, we're not going to keep score. It's no, everybody just have fun. Guess what, Chuck? The kids know. The fucking yes. kids know. <laughs> yes. So there was this little kid last week on the other team that just kicked Sydney's ass, just kicked our team's ass. She must have scored 14 goals, Chuck. It was amazing. She was a, she was a wonder to experience this little girl, right? Five years old, just kicking soccer ass, right? Okay. And but we're not keeping score. We're not. Yeah, there's no competition. Girls. Then why have people, goalies? People. people <laughs> why were, have kids were crying? 
parents were saying it's unfair. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, this that does not make any sense, goals. man. I mean, the whole fucking <laughs> yeah. grading system is 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 based on A to F. You know, F to A. You either fail. You no, do they don't okay. do that anymore, Mike. They don't do that anymore. They do one, two, three. They do one, two, three, four. And I can, I don't know if four is good or bad. Elvis's report cards have numbers on them. It's like one, two, three, four. And I don't know whether four is good or four is bad. Well, four I mean, looks a lot like an A. So, it, <laughs> <laughs> so, so if he's got all twos and threes, I'm like, well, he's uh, yeah, well, he's doing good. I don't know if that's planning towards it's the, in the D middle. or uh, he's in the middle. As long as he's not got ones or fours, my boy's cool. I'm too embarrassed to ask, is one good or is four good? <laughs> no. No, Mike, they don't give A's and B's and C's and D's and F's anymore. I know, I know that, but our whole system is based on what I was saying. Well, when earlier, you become it, an adult, but that's it's why It's based on, kids... on somebody has to fail. In order for you to succeed, somebody has to fail. Well, and well, it's definitely in sports and jobs. So there's a correlation yeah. between if you want this job and there's two other people, you know, they're interviewing with. I've been in that position. Um, you know, that's that's like that's like emotional. And yeah. we need to prepare adults for the um, the feelings of that with soccer. You keep score. They won 14 to 1. Well, isn't that and the so, idea is preparation for life? Because if you, like you said, if you go to, into an interview and you're a two and three guy, <laughs> but they want to hire a one or four guy. I, mean, <laughs> I wish somebody would email us what the A is. Is an A1 or an A4? And yeah, when I, I asked Elvis, he said he didn't know, but I'll bet he fucking knows. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the idea of a, the idea of a meritocracy is supposed to be the way life works after you know like going into going into jobs and stuff. So the idea yeah. that you're rewarded based on how well you do or whether you show up or whether you put effort in the job or whether you're redirectable or teachable teachable how do, how do you learn that if you're not being called out on it because I know like bug stuff is all because it's special education is all needs improvement is satisfactory or outstanding he doesn't have letter grades because it's, it's special education but at least we know where we need improvement and what we need to work on otherwise how do you know how do you know it's crazy you, so get this what happened let me tell you what happened last weekend so sid is crying in this and just losing her mind like you know and but everybody's like oh good you're doing great like telling kids that are losing that they're doing great and by the way and here's another thing that i observed that's so awful this fucking kid that we're that was on the other team is amazing at soccer this she's fucking a she kid could, this she could kick mike, mike mart's ass right i'll she bet can she just could dribble <laughs> she can dribble with both feet she can kick she can score with both feet right yeah. so two she things practices. i can't do yeah. so she practices chuck Right. She works hard at it. Right. Why shouldn't she get the goals? But, but why shouldn't she be praised for being great? But they don't even praise you for being great. So in the second half, they put her on defense so she couldn't score so much. Oh, my but God. But she still scored. She still where, scored. They made her basically the stay by from? the goal, and she still scored. 
right? Okay. But but so you don't get rewarded for excellence. That's what I observed. AYSO, no rewarding ex- people for working hard and being excellent. You punish them in the second half by making them play defense. And then <laughs> you tell all the girls that are losing and, and getting passed right by and goals scored against that they're doing great. It was the epitome of how lost America is. That dude, that you couldn't, that hits the, the nail right on the head because that's the same idea of pain is supposed to be a motivator. You know, the idea of if we lose and we feel bad about it, we're supposed to learn how to turn that energy into getting better instead of letting it weigh us down and drag us to the bottom of the ocean, right? Right. You know, or, they talk about what's that. A, what's a worse message than you just got scored on 14 times and you're told you're great and you're you're doing great. So great means nothing, man. That just <laughs> means you, you so, are continuing so to exist the in the here's continuum. The hope. Here's the hope. So Sid sits down with me and she goes, I want to quit. We're driving home because we had two cars. It was just me and Sid in the car. I said, you want to quit or you want to be good? And she said, I want to be good. And I said, that little girl is good because she practices. You're going to have to practice all the time. And she goes, I will. And so we went to Big Five after playing soccer all morning, got a net, put it next door, and Sid sat there for two hours kicking balls into the goal. Guess what happened today, gentlemen? She stored, scored three goals today. Nice. So <laughs> proud of herself. But, of course, we don't keep score. But here's the thing. Here's a kid that was kind of lost last week, got really emotional and cried and wanted to quit. She was presented with the option, quit or, or practice and be good. She chose practice and be good. Her practicing all week and really sitting there and kicking the ball, and we worked on it, we worked on it. And her scoring three goals, she doesn't get rewarded for that. She doesn't get rewarded for working hard and becoming better and getting goals because we've taken competition out of sports. I don't know. I don't know who came up with this. Right. I I don't even want to say it because we'll get a backlash. So the idea (laughs) that (laughs) some losers fan parents. Well, they pressured. They yeah, loser parents (laughs) or uh, whatever. Not loser. I don't. I don't think they're losers. Do gooder. Do gooder parents that have the best of intentions. They want children to thrive and feel good. They're just idiots and don't know how that is accomplished. (laughs) Not losers. They don't know how that's accomplished. (laughs) Idiots is better the loser isn't it? they're just misinformed okay they're just okay. misinformed, Mi- misinformed. As, let's, as to how let's cut you, that out how you go about that <laughs> removing competition doesn't make kids feel better when they lose 14 to 1 they still know they lost they still know they lost but they don't know what it feels like to have a comeback right all the, or, all the- or to be rewarded for working hard right right so so and I noticed the coaches, the coaches are so great. There was one coach on the other team that was high five and Sid when she scored a goal. That was like the only praise you got, right? What a son of a when, bitch. Especially when, but when you're the coach of the kid that's scoring, you can't do anything. You're just fucking frozen. Chrissy was just like frozen. <laughs> like, okay, let's get the kickoff going. Cause you don't want to like be celebrating your kid kicking the well, ball. Well, you don't it's want the, the other kids the to feel weirdest, bad because they didn't the get a high five. It's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen. That's some backwards world shit. So you've got to sit there and not say, good job. Your practice paid off. This is what life is about. It's <laughs> yes, taking a hit, <laughs> getting back on your feet, 
practicing getting better and not letting defeat knock you down and keep you down, but to tell you, you might need to try harder and practice more because that's what it's about. I think it's the essence of the kid and the system is so flawed by these do-gooder parents that have ruined AYSO. It's competitive. It's, it's, you know, you can stop a game in my day. And Mike, I don't know if you're, did you play baseball, Mike? I played baseball. I played baseball a little. I played baseball little league. And when it became ridiculous, they just called the game. Like I, we, the mercy rule. Yeah. I I was on a really bad team one year and we would get behind like literally like 22 to nothing. And just after the fourth inning, they'd just call it. (laughs) and and then you get to walk away in the shame and go we suck so bad we lost 22 (laughs) to nothing and they said we don't want to hurt them anymore (laughs) yeah yeah uh, we stopped them we stopped them it's okay (laughs) and i was probably i was in fifth grade how old are you in fifth grade eight years old like yeah yeah you know and i so i don't know I'm interested you're in 10, when Bob, you're 10 and eight fifth grade. Oh, yeah, you are. oh, okay. 10. So when do they introduce competition? I'm going to follow Sydney through this whole process and keep everybody posted. But and, and if you've been lying to kids saying, you know, you're great when you're not great and you're, how do you then switch gears and praise so, good and kind of improve, uh, uh, weaknesses? How do they do that? It's just like, it's madness. It's right, madness. I, I gotta ask now how did this come about i mean are there child psychologists that say this is the best rule to follow yeah is this, it all or started, is this just yes, parents it started years ago in the 80s there was a ucla doctor of psycho psychology um who started this nurture kind of uh thing a movement a nurture movement or whatever and he claims now, but he claims now it was misinterpreted and so taken this is, too this, far. This is forty years old, and they still haven't changed it. They're they're tinkering with it. They they tinker with it. It's but basically, so this is forty year old thinking, right? That 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 the the person. Well, that, it, I think it took a long time to catch on, and it didn't make its way into the kids' sports for maybe twenty years after that, because when when well it became every here's what it was i was there with elijah and you were there too with your older son so what it was is it was competition you did keep score you did uh, you did have all the basics of the competitiveness of sports but everyone got a trophy everyone got a trophy it was the, the the first thing was everybody's equal everybody gets a trophy right it's mm-hmm. team oriented now they've just removed they're trying to remove the competitiveness from it it's so weird because the kids know the ball goes in the goal it's the other team they scored you didn't block it you know the kids know they're crying in all directions and i just felt like you know i i taught part of my lessons with sid was when somebody kicks the ball in against you in the goal, go get the ball and just run to half court. Don't even pay attention. Just go the halfway line, half, half, uh, you know, to the regular kickoff. Pick the right. ball up out of the net as fast as you can and run to the to uh, the halfway point to kick off. Don't even let it affect you. Just go and get a goal on your end, and then that negates their goal. And that's what Sydney was doing today. You know what I think they should do? I think they should take parents completely out of the whole thing. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? Because like, if you ask, if you ask, like Are you my kidding? kids, no, my kids when they, you know, what they said, you know, uh, if they wanted to participate in sport, I said you don't have to participate in sports at all. You know, I don't care. No, you know, we never push sports on anybody. I'll bet you if you ask any kid on his own whether he wants to go out and do soccer or something like that, they probably don't want to do it. So I know so, well, they all want to stay on their devices. That's why. I mean, it'll always be around because it's a two-hour break from devices, yeah. right? Yeah, and some that, and some kids really want to do it. It's a matter of finding what too. they well. That that's the part that's really gone. I remember little league and youth football when i was a kid it was the parents were the problem but now the parents are just quiet and um yeah everybody's yeah, scared and, i got this sense. everybody's scared a woman next to me was yelling to her daughter on another field and then she apologized to the woman she was talking to and said i just can't get rid of my competitiveness right no you can't because it's inherent right it's, it's survival called survival the yeah. it's, being, it's, <laughs> it's in us and they're denying the their humanity. And so this is a, another theme of, like, we're human. We're trying to learn. We're trying to become better. We're trying to become stronger. Neutering the ugliness of some of the things about mankind is not preparing children for being a part of mankind. It's not. It just dawned on me. This is a an attempt to get parents out of the fucking picture. Because they're so nuts about sports. <laughs> well, it works. It works. Nobody dare. Nobody dare scream and cheer on their kid. Um, well, when, Sid scored, when Sid scored one goal, I looked at. Her, I said, "Sid!" I yelled it really loud, and she looked at me, and I gave her thumbs up. And she did this cool thing. There's also a coolness factor to people. So she, she, I told her this thing: go in the net and get the ball. So she kicks the ball into goal. She goes immediately and gets the ball. And then she realizes it's not the other team's ball. So she just threw it behind her head and like walked her halfway. <laughs> it was so cool. And I gave her a thumbs up on that. I gave her a thumbs up on the coolness of that move. Right. Right. That, and that is because cool. When because when you've scored, when it's been, you've been scored against, it's your ball. So she runs right. all the way, puts it down. Let's fucking go. And, not and when she got it out of her goal that she scored, she realized like oh it's not our ball and she just threw it behind her so cool almost like keith richards it was awesome (laughs) (laughs) no because because unfortunately i get it we're we're thinking feeling animals but nature doesn't favor the weak you know our whole world around us we've built a, a civilization but we can't deny the fact that there are instincts and to show these like what if a child is naturally competitive which may lead them to a a healthy, fruitful life, and we we try and squash that. It ain't ever going to happen. I would say there's 11 kids on the team, and probably seven of them don't don't don't. They're not. They don't get rattled either way. They just like running around chasing the ball. They're cool. They're you know they're they're not affected by it. There's Sydney and another girl are really affected by losing, and then there's another girl that's just amazing. She just she's on our team that's just amazing but she when she gets to the goal like she can run past anybody and dribble and kick the ball for far up and run and she's really an excellent athlete but when she gets to the goal she gets nervous and she's all alone at the goal and she misses a couple times but she just she has that competitive nature like ah i gotta get better at this you can see it you just what i'm saying is you can see it in kids you can try to act like they're not competitive and it's not good for them they are 
they're starting to become humans right God, i uh, hope they don't i hope they don't squash that competitiveness in, in in her you know in sydney because like she's so passionate about it and she's so competitive i mean what are they trying to squash this stuff with the no scoring i you know i don't know man i, I don't I've know never, i don't know I, I don't, my kids have never participated sounds in like sport. a plot they but it, like but it, is, it is a theory it is a theory that none of us like Sydney can cry all she wants it doesn't affect me like I, you know i ask her you know when you're done crying let's talk about it and so she gets all amped up and i say you know i don't this whole thing about being so emotionally affected by your children crying that's a weakness in parents that's a weakness chuck it's good like for your kids, kids to are cry. Gonna cry. They're going to fucking it's... cry. I have three kids. There's one crying at all times. <laughs> oh, at all times when somebody in this fucking house is crying. Right? Uh, well, that means they're feeling, right? That's that's what you were talking about. Tim and said it gave us a chance to be human. That means we have times when we laugh. It means we have times when we cry. Times when we're ambivalent. Times when things are just okay and times when just things seem fucked. And that if you're not going through that, then you're not living. We can't tell kids that. I love the fact that you tell her when, you've, when you're done, when this emotion has run its course and where you're able to talk, let's do it. Because, I mean, it's like nothing's worse than trying to talk to someone who's upset. They need to allow that. Well, you, you know, try like, to tell them they, is, that what they try, what what people do. I, I I've been guilty of it. I I see grandparents do it a lot. It's bribe the kid to stop crying. I'll take you for ice cream right. if you stop crying. No, let him fucking cry. I got shit to do. Like, and when you want to talk about what what you were so upset about, because there's no point in talking about it now. But really, her thing. I, I just felt like my daughter was caught by the rules of the do-gooders. She knows it's competitive. Mm -hmm. You kick the ball in the goal. You cannot count how many times somebody kicked the ball in the goal, but Sydney knows. And that kid who kicked the ball in the goal knows. And every, actually, everyone watching knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we were going to act uh, like we didn't yep. know. Right? Well, it, that's it's, wow. it's a crazy thing. And that's so almost follow as bad my as Santa logic. Claus. Follow my logic. If we're not allowing people to feel feelings and be disappointed and have failure and and have resolution and 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 process feelings, if that's what we're going to do to our children, we're going to say there's only good feelings and happy feelings, and the bad ones will give you ice cream to stop or will will not allow you the 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 dignity of your own human experience. If we're going to just be all good feelings. Follow the logic, Chuck. That's why half of America is on benzos. Right. Because everything causes anxiety. Everything causes depression. Everybody, everybody is so incapable of, of, of living with feelings, negative feelings. So they go to all these doctors who then the pharmaceutical industry has all these pills to numb, move over, sustain, sub, you know, uh, control the negative feelings right if you can't sleep at night if you can't if you're anxious if you know if you've never been allowed the dignity of being a human being when you're five and seven and ten and twelve and fifteen and twenty of course you right. don't know how to deal with anxiety anything that's why you're so anxious and that's why when, when i got go a question so how old do you have to be to 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 go to the doctor and get benzos prescribed to you. The, the earliest it? I've heard it Five. prescribed is eight years old. No, eight. I'm <laughs> yeah. an eight year old. 
And but that's parents, right? No, the right. kid was on prescribed it. An eight-year-old, right? And that's because the parents are concerned because their kid aren't. Sh- they're not showing coping mechanisms, right? This is exactly the kind of person Bob was talking about when he says, "Listen, man, it's." it's you're not going to die you need to live for a while if you hurt someone's feelings they've never learned how to cope because if you say something that hurts my feelings and i can't bounce back what is going on with me if i can't say then there is so much like we talked about because we had a big group because because darren was working with us and and my friend joe who's a counselor said that and grief will not be ignored you can pretend it's not there, but it doesn't go away until you let it happen. Oh, and like it. Yeah, that's, that's why that's why when sometimes things, it's like there may be a bunch of stuff you haven't allowed to have happen, but one thing like triggers it or whatever, and then you feel all right. of it all at once. I had and- that experience. I had that experience. I, I, I wrote a song about it. It's, it is, you can suppress grief for a decade. Yeah. Well, but so it, my it, mom, it won't be my mom more. died. My mom died when I was 19. And I was just getting into drugs and drinking and whatever and I felt abandoned and left out. My sisters were so obsessed with like all the food and the big whoop de doo after the funeral, you know? And I was just like, who cares about fucking food? Our mom is dead. You know, so I was disconnected from the the details of death, let's call it, right? So I got drunk, I went to the funeral, and but I never cried. I never cried. I was more angry at my sisters for some reason. It's probably projected by the, uh, projecting onto them, but but I never cried. And then Mike remembers when I lived on Fountain on uh, uh, Sunset in Franklin with Aliki Papadias. Remember that apartment, yeah, Mike? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So we were up there, and the John Cougar Mellencamp album had come out. Whatever year that is, '85. And there's a line in the song that says, uh, "My mama said, boy, you're gonna be president, but just like everything else, those old crazy jeans, they just kind of came and went. Yeah. Ain't that America?" And I heard that lyric because my mom used to tell me, Bobby, if you would just apply yourself, you could be president of the United States. And I heard that song. Chuck, I cried all day. And I Mm. kept playing it over and over again. And it felt so good to cry. And I knew why I was crying. I knew it was related to the death of my mom six years earlier. I knew it. Right. I didn't have to have a psychologist explain no, it to you, me. You, you recognized it. And I was is, feeling it. And, and that, it was so cathartic and so beautiful. It felt so good. It felt almost as good as heroin, Chuck. Almost as good. Almost. <laughs> Nothing really does, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, I could have a chocolate cake, sex, and a perfect day, and it would still be, eh, it's, oh, this is a really great day. Say, but, yeah, no, pretty close. Pretty close. But the, uh, uh, no, that's that's so funny you would say that, because I, like, I had known Amy for about three years, and we were watching Grease, of all things. Oh, my and, God. That and that song, Hopelessly <laughs> Devoted to You, is, is, is used at the beginning of a dystopia song that me and my brother used to listen to all the time. It like goes oh in regular gosh. time, yeah, and yeah, then it yeah. slows down, and it turns into this grindcore thing that me and Jeff used to sit and smoke meth and listen to that stuff over and over. And when I heard that the beginning of that song, I, I started crying. And she goes, what's going on? And I go, and I knew exactly what it was. I hadn't cried. I hadn't cried for Jeff. And it had been a, a couple years. 
And she was like, are you okay? And I go, ah, man. And it was a straight up, that reminded me of this. It's, it's so in line with what you just said. And it did feel so good to get that out. I remember I, it feeling I, I so thought, good. Well, I, I thought stop. you were going to say that the meth was so good it made you cry. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, but I would stop. I would, you know, the 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 really bawling, like just crying, heaving, sobbing would kind of subside after about twenty minutes. I'd play the song again to stir it back up. It just felt so good to just go. And like, you're going to do it. You're going to yeah. milk that until it doesn't work anymore. That felt and, good. I'm going to do it again. And that that's another thing, like lyrics matter lyrics and songs matter the, you know we've kind of gotten lost in this hip-hop world like meaningful things that are relatable matter I, I like rock music has just been marginalized like it doesn't even exist anymore but it but i've never shot anybody i don't i don't i don't i don't <laughs> fuck hoes i don't do all these things that are in the rap songs you i can't eat. relate so music right. has really become become something that's very personal in listening to like listening to the beach boys in my room when i was a kid something very meaningful like the artist is helping the listener open up and experience things to this modern day thing where it's very voyeuristic like you're peeking in your neighbor's house, listening to what their life is like. Mm-hmm. There's nothing, you know, hip hop in, in particular, like I never felt like, oh, that's me. That really speaks to me. I felt like NWA is fucking telling me what's going on in their lives. And that's badass, right? Right. But now it's been 35 years of this nonsense, right? <laughs> well, it's, it's <laughs> like, gotten so much less. I know what's when you going think on about, there. I know what's think going about- on all the words that were put into the songs, all the stories that were told, how they had beginnings, middles, and ends. It's a lot different than repeating a singular phrase over and over. And unfortunately, that's even happened. You're right. That's happened even in mainstream music. It freaks me out when it's like, and I like it. It's nothing personal. It's nothing personal. So I, so I bought some records the other day. And Wait, I bought are you bread. telling me that, fi- that, that going through her purse is now no longer no longer viable listen to this so bread there's an album the second album by the band bread has three top 10 songs on it one is called diary i don't know if you've ever heard the song i found your diary underneath the tree started reading about me you ever heard that song mike no diary by bread so i'm listening to this album because i you know i like the I like that 70s AM radio songs. So I'm listening to it and I realize like this guy's in a 21st century world. This guy would be crucified. He finds his girlfriend's diary and he starts reading it. (laughs) (laughs) What a son of a bitch. What? He would be fucking canceled for that. Wouldn't he? Canceled. Uh, Canceled. (laughs) Read a woman's personal diary. Well, no, that, that sing about top, it, Chuck. That was a top ten hit in 1972, and then people had feelings. It would cancel your career if you did that. <laughs> found his. He found. It, you got to listen to the song. He finds his girlfriend's diary, and he goes, "Hmm, I'm going to read this." And and the whole song is about what he's reading in the diary. 
Hey, I got something that why why does it not apply to rap music? The whole cancel me culture thing. Why does it? Oh, not a, I don't know. Yeah, why is ask, that? Ask you Dave know, Chappelle. Ask Dave Chappelle about that. He's pretty outspoken about it. It's just gotten to a ridiculous point. I see it in AYSO. I see it in the hypocrisy of yes, what Mike just said. I see it in our politic i see it in my neighborhood i see it in my kids schools we're lost we're just we're pushing and pulling and we're not going in a positive direction we got half the country pushing and pulling this way the other half pulling that way whoever's stronger gets more of the rope right and then it just it's not going in a positive direction and and it's it's strange because I talk to young people still that work with me. So one kid was telling me, you know, Bob, I only make $840 more than if I just stayed home. Right? Mm -hmm. This kid was telling me last week. And I said, well, but still, you get out and about and you meet people. You could meet a girl that you're a boy that you fall in love with and you could you could find somebody, meet somebody that leads to a really great job or or you might, you, you, you can't, when you're taking the $1,600 from Gavin Newsom and you're just sitting at home, nothing happens. Nothing happens. Working a job, you meet people, things happen, you're driving, you go this way, you go that way. Everything that's happened in my life is when I was out and about, Chuck. Right. The most <clears> significant <throat> things in my life happened when i was out and about nothing important has ever happened when i'm sitting at home nothing no, no that's what people don't get is that our, our brains are workhorses and if we don't give them something to work on or to sort or to figure it's going to turn inward and when it turns inward then we, we might as well be on acid looking in a mirror you know yeah, that's you have to be physically out in the world Yes. My, my example, me and Anthony are, are starting this company together. It's so exciting. And we've been closer than ever before. And it's been so fun. And we were talking, somebody asked us the other day how we met. And, and Anthony said, on Hollywood Boulevard. I was, me and Flea were walking down Hollywood Boulevard. And Bob came walking down and he knew Flea. And we were homeless. And he said, oh, if you need a place to stay, you can stay at my house. And he gave, I gave them the keys to my apartment because I had to go to work. I just barely knew Flea. It's, right. That was 39 years ago. And if you would have been sitting at home that at night. At home on, on my $1,600 that you know Gavin Newsom gives me, that never happens. The most important relationship of my life. And one time I was, uh, Courtney Love gave me some money to go score drugs. I went to this drug dealer's house and this girl was there. That led to a nine-year relationship, one of the most profound things that ever that affected my life that led me to meeting Josh Klinghoffer. And Josh right. Klinghoffer knowing me led him to being in, in Pearl Jam. Like this, you gotta be out in the world mixing it up for things to happen. You can't sit at home and take sixteen hundred dollars from the fucking government just because <laughs> working a job you only make twenty four hundred dollars. That's not the fucking point of it. Right, <laughs> right. Which brings us into full, full circle: is go out and live life. Tonight, tonight. I don't. I know. Know if you're going to post this today, Mike. It's the first time Josh plays in Pearl Jam tonight in Ashbury Park, New Jersey. 
I can't wait to hear the details of it. And it's three hours ahead. So it's four o'clock in New Jersey right now. They are hitting the stage at nine o'clock in five hours. Nice. A fucking coolest shit you're ever going to see. Like, and next weekend, you're going to be able to see it in Dana Point, California. And the weekend after that, you're going to be able to see it again. Yep. And it all started, it all started because I was scoring drugs for Courtney Love. <laughs> <laughs> and because you were walking around and you knew Flea. You know, I mean, really, it, it is. Life doesn't happen to you sitting at home. And I think that's it where people not. get it all wrong. They get You're, it all wrong. And, you know, it's like every once in a while, you were talking about lyrics. Every once in a while, Morrissey has a lyric in a song where it's like, people think their TVs are a window to the world, but it's not. You know, somebody, and it's the same thing with our somebody phones. quoted it's, Morrissey to me this morning. They said uh, he said to some person who thought they were all that in a bag of chips, you haven't earned your stripes or something. Is he famous for saying that with some term like that? Uh, I have no idea. Like, I hadn't heard that before. You just haven't yeah. earned it yet. Baby yeah, is the song. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't earned it yet, baby. What is that? That's a Smith song off Strange Ways. Just haven't earned oh. it yet, baby. And it's about telling some up-and-comer that they think they're all that? Yeah, it's just about, man, you know, we didn't just get here. We Are were you a Smiths fanatic? Uh, I guess that kind of outed me, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I knew you liked the Smiths, but I didn't know you knew every fucking lyric on every album. <laughs> okay, okay. More will be revealed, John. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I feel more comfortable today. <laughs> there's a new a album. There's a new album coming out that they just made uh, that has some controversial song on. It's being held up because Morrissey refuses to bow. Like, has Morrissey ever bowed? No. He, he I, is, I think regardless of what you think of his positions, at least he stands by them. That's punk rock as shit. Are you kidding me? He's more punk than half the people wearing the costume. You know, that that's just, this is what I think. This is what I feel. It's, and he's not saying this is what you've got to think or what you've got to feel, but this is where I am. This is my human experience. And I is respect that, that for anybody do you who does apply, that. Well, that's what I was going to say. Do you apply that same to Ted Nugent? To Johnny Rotten? Uh, no, to, to, well, I would say Ted Nugent and Eric Clapton would be the two that I would wonder. You don't and, have any you know, questions of their rationality. I think that I think that <laughs> I think watching people and the way they end up, the way they end up, and how they end up there, based on how their brains work and the way they're raised, I think there's a place for everybody. And um, eat, no matter, well, let how me wrong tell you a are. funny story. So I was railing against Ted Nugent, even though I I think I think the first Ted Nugent solo album and Free for All are two of the greatest metal records or hard rock records. And I still listen to them, but I don't let anybody see them, me listening to them. But I was railing against him. He, he just says some really fucking offensive shit. And he, he said he was going to kill Obama. And I was railing against that one day, right? And, and I, uh, a friend of mine said, weren't you... Didn't you get arrested for railing and <laughs> yes. saying you were going to kill Bush? <laughs> oh, pot, meat, kettle, kettle, meat, pot. <laughs> but you, that's one of the, what you just said. Like you learn about yourself. Like I was so angry at the things that Ted Nugent was saying about Obama. I was totally <laughs> blind that I did the same exact thing to Bush Senior. 
I mean, I the really same expect, exact thing. That's I kind of expect more then, though, as we get older. I expect more from people as we get older, but some people live in a bubble. Ted Nugent I, I lives think in a musicians, bubble. I think Morrissey musicians lives in a in, bubble. They, musicians live in bubbles. But yes, but do. but let me tell you this thing. So that's why when you were saying that thing about when I when I realize that I'm wrong or I don't know, that moment when somebody pointed out you did the same thing just to against Bush. And I was like, I felt so embarrassed, not embarrassed that I did it, embarrassed that I didn't recognize it. Like, why did I fucking rail against Ted Nugent when I did the same thing 20 years before against uh, <laughs> oh, Bush? No. You just AA bumpered sticker. You just AA bumper sticker. If you, if you spot it, you got it. <laughs> oh, God. Well, okay, that's oh, where we'll end oh, it. If you, you just bumper sticker. You got it. 90 and 90. Let's try to say them all real quick. Uh, if what? you ever say no to an easy a, don't never it. say easy no to an AA it. request. Easy does it is a good oh, one. God, what's, a, what's another one, Mike? Come on, we need some slogans. One day for the people at a time. One I, day. At all a you time. need is one day in Alano Club, and you'll hear them all. You'll my hear. best day. My <laughs> best day using. Still no, my best. What is it? My, my worst day. day <laughs> my worst day sober is better than my best day using. Which that's is a, a total lie, fucking John, lie. lie. I know. I know. <laughs> I even think lie. I said that once or twice. <laughs> Just how because can any alcoholic or drug addict in good conscience make that statement? I've had so you many great days. That's so many great times. That's the indoctrination, I can name Bob. them, Chuck. I can name <laughs> I them. Me and, me and Anthony used to go up on the Hollywood Reservoir bridge there at like two o'clock in the morning ride our bikes up there and shoot coke and lean over the end and the city is right in front of you and you're leaning over and your head's exploding on coke that was so fucking great what was not great is when you shoot coke up there there's only one tiny little road and we got so paranoid that cops were coming up to arrest us every headlight coming up that road we would hide in the bushes and talking to each other <laughs> like is it a cop, right, it a cop? Right. but er earlier in the evening rewind that even that was, was funner than doing your bills <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. that last night i'm talking to this guy i'm at a show and he comes up with a bob forrest story and it's not a long one but i go this guy goes you do that podcast with with bob forrest and i'm like yes he goes, I knew Bob, but it was like in 1986. And all I remember was him being like on Sunset or Hollywood and being just fucked up and dirty and just being sitting down on the sidewalk and telling every car that went by to fuck you, <laughs> fuck you. And it was like he wanted he wanted someone to stop you. But people are going, no, nah, that's just Bob. <laughs> he'll go home i lived i i remember being like that i was at gardner and sunset by by uh where guitar center is because i lived at fountain and gardner and somehow i would just get mad at i don't know what and i would just start yelling at cars and then eventually i'd just stand up and walk home so probably <laughs> people that knew me were like it's all right he'll just yeah. do that for a few hours and he'll go home <laughs> all those years ago that's what the guy remembers. And I go, well, he's done a lot since then. There's more to Bob the highlights of my life. It's still one of the highlights of my life. That, he hasn't yeah. changed much, but he still has done he a just, lot of I things. Know, I'm, not, I'm not actually on a street yelling at cars. I'm yeah. on a podcast yeah. yelling at <laughs> soccer parents. All right, you guys have a good weekend. <laughs>
Go Pearl Jam. Go Pearl Jam. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.